Y'all can be seated, yes. Thank you, Tracy, for uh, reading that passage of Scripture. Uh, thanks again to our, our worship team for uh, leading us, really pointing us to, to Jesus in worship. Uh, this morning, we will, uh, we will simply stay in those three or four verses. Matthew 5, verse 27 through 30. We'll just be there. We are talking, uh, we're talking this fall about three topics, three topics that can uh, impact us all, that can challenge us all, money, sex, and marriage. Uh, Last week, uh, we talked about money. This week, we'll move on to these other topics, and we'll be doing that through, through November up until Advent Christmas season. Now... Let me say this, and I may need to say it every Sunday. What's the goal of, uh, of this as really a series, a teaching series, a preaching series? Well, the goal is, I mean, first, I think it's, I think it's pretty relevant, uh, and I think it's also interesting, but that's, that's not the goal. Uh, the goal is, is first to uh, see these things, money, sex, marriage, uh, first that they can be uh, very big, uh, idols uh, for us. Uh, really, whether you're a Christian or not, they can be an idol. Uh, but they can also be a barrier. For example, you can make it an idol and say, well, I, I, I love Jesus, but you know, in my heart I love money or I love sex or even I love marriage. And an idol, really, I say this over and over again, it can be a very good thing, which all those three are, by the way, biblically too, not just opinion, which becomes an ultimate thing. But then there's the challenge that they can become a barrier, and we see them wrongly. For example, you're a Christian, and you're like, I want to follow Jesus, I want to live for Jesus, but these barriers of money, sex, and marriage that we're highlighting are in front of me, and, and, and obviously I can't, you know, I can't love them too much, so this, there's this barrier. I don't Really, a goal is to take that barrier away and see them for what they are biblically, which all three are very beautiful uh, in God's eyes and gifts in God's eyes. And I want to make the connection between all three, and yes, even money, uh, to our Christian faith, to our walk with Jesus uh, in this world. They, they are all gifts. So today, uh, last week, money, today, sex, sex and Actually, it's sex and a little marriage. No pun intended there. Uh, but, it, uh, of course, it could be marriage and a little sex, uh, which may be next week. But, uh, you know, just to play on words anyway. So just to try to keep you all focused. Uh, I hope you won't sleep through this message. Uh, not that you sleep through any of them, you might say. But uh, I don't, I wouldn't. I know that with this topic. Now, Jesus is, this is the Sermon on the Mount that Tracy read. As was last week's message on money during the Sermon on the Mount. All the passages in this series will not be out of the Sermon on the Mount. But the Sermon on the Mount is very, very good because really in it, Jesus is, is telling us, I mean, he's telling how to live life in every way. How to live life in every way. And that would include uh, love and sex. And so here he is, he's talking about sex. And it's easy, and he, I even thought about this as the scripture being read, it's very easy to see it as negative. 
negative. I mean, Jesus explicitly ties there lust with hell. I don't know if you caught that, but he did. And so it's easy to see it as negative, but it's in fact, biblically, and what I hope you can see today, uh, beautiful uh, in God's eyes, sex, uh, even sexual desire, I would say. So today, what I hope to show you, and I hope that you can see three things, okay? If you're right, you can write this down. Three things, uh, the lie, the lie of sex, the challenge of lust, challenge of lust, the true love, our true love. Uh, let's start with the lie of sex. Now, when I first say that, some of you, I think, could be thinking, oh yeah, there is a lie of sex. And as a Christian, the lie is, oh yeah, uh, sex outside marriage, premarital sex, uh, a lot of sex, being promiscuous, uh, that, the lie is that that will, will fill me. So culturally, the lie is that, you know, that, that's going to fill me and, and it won't. Okay, that is one lie. But I'm not, I don't really want to focus on that lie, even though I'll hit on it. The lie I'm talking about is the lie that you do, uh, or we do. The lie that happens when you engage in sex outside marriage. Or your lie. I'll show you that in a minute, okay? Verse 27, uh, Jesus says, he says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Very, very simple. Verse 27. Now, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but he's now building on the Old Testament, okay? So what's the Old Testament say about, uh, about sex? Uh, the Old Testament's really very simple, very clear. No sex outside of a covenant relationship. What's a covenant relationship? A covenant relationship in the Old Testament would be marriage, okay? And it's what we as Christians as a church continue to think of, a covenant relationship of marriage. So Jesus saying, and he builds on this, okay, where is sex to be? It's in the covenant relationship of marriage. No sex outside the covenant relationship of marriage. Now, I think it's, it's important to define a covenant, a covenant relationship. A covenant is really, it's almost a different way of thinking, okay? A different way of thinking. For example, we have covenant membership in this church. Uh, and it's for a reason, not to just throw the word covenant in there, but because a covenant relationship is very different than many relationships, which I would argue many relationships are consumer relationships. So let me try to define a covenant relationship versus consumer relationship, okay? And you have covenant relationships in marriage, consumer relationships in marriage. You have covenant relationships in churches. You have consumer relationships in churches. A consumer relationship, you're pretty much acting towards another person as really a vendor. Uh, some of you are in business or, or sales. It's like a vendor. I have needs, you would say, in your mind. And your price is good, so I don't have to pay as much. And so you will meet my needs, okay? Happens in churches, as in like I have needs. Uh, maybe my need is to not uh, spend too much time in this church. Or maybe my need is to uh, attend a, a good church that looks well in the community. And your price is good. You're not asking too much of me. And so I kind of have this freedom. So I'll, I'll bind it. And it's a consumer relationship. We're not really talking about church today, but got to throw that in. We have covenant membership. So in a relationship, covenant, well, a consumer would be, I have needs, and you meet my needs. Uh, and if you don't meet my needs, then, 
the relationship will change, uh, or maybe the, the relationship will be fractured, and there will be no relationship anymore. A covenant relationship, very, very different in that needs are not as important. Individual, and yes, even selfish needs are not as important. In fact, in a covenant relationship, you really are saying, my needs are not important, so I will adjust to your needs because of the covenant that I've made with you. Do you hear me on that? It's very different. Consumer, I have needs, you meet my needs. A covenant My needs are not as important, and I will adjust my needs to your needs because I'm in this covenant relationship. Now, I would say this. A covenant relationship in marriage, because not all marriages are in a covenant relationship, particularly outside the church. Covenant relationship in marriage, covenant relationship in church, they're much, much better. They're much, much better than consumer relationships. How? How? A couple ways. One, you can totally be yourself. You can totally be yourself. Right, what do you mean by that? Well, the covenant is so strong. Hear me on this. The covenant is so strong. You're, you're like, we made a covenant. We are in for life. That I can be myself. I don't have to wear a mask. Think about that with church too. I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to always put my best foot forward. I can be myself because I know that you'll love me but regardless, that you'll adjust to my needs, you can be yourself. Uh, another way a covenant relationship is much, much better than a consumer relationship. And I'm going to challenge you all. I want you to th- I'd love for you to think about your, how many relationships are, are just consumer-oriented for your life. Another way a covenant relationship is, is better is that in spite of your feelings, deeper feelings will grow. All right, what are you talking about there? Simple. Think about a parent and a child. This is, it's a great illustration of a, of a covenant relationship, parent to child. Even if you don't have children, we've all been a child, all had parents. And maybe you can say, well, my parents, you know, weren't that good. You know, well, you have people who are father figures, mother figures in your life. And the thing about children is sometimes they just don't give love, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you can, you give and give and give. Are y'all tracking with me? Sometimes kids don't give love. You know, especially, I mean, babies, I mean, they, they, want, their, they want their feed all the time, and they, they cry and whine, and they wake you up. They're not giving any love. I mean, they, they, they do, and that they look beautiful, and you love them. But even, I mean, we've got young kids, and sometimes they can be very, very frustrating, okay? You know, like, man. So those are my feelings. You hear that? I was frustrated. In spite of those feelings, deeper feelings grow. Because I love them. I am in this covenant relationship with my kids to to raise them and rear them. So in a covenant relationship of marriage, you'd be like, well, I'm frustrated. I know you never say that. You know, I I don't know. I mean, you can be yourself. I can't stand you today. But I know that I have this love that is so much deeper than my feelings. And that's the third reason why a covenant relationship is so much better. You're not a slave to your feelings in a covenant relationship. You have true freedom. Your feelings, where do they come from? Well, in, in marriage or in an engagement, or where do feelings come from? Looks, appearances, past circumstances? It's like, will you remind me of someone? I don't, you don't want to say who, but... Your past does affect your feelings. Your present circumstances affect your feelings. 
And before you realize it, and some of it, many of you probably are, you just don't realize it, you're a slave to your feelings. You're a slave to how you feel in a consumer relationship. In a covenant relationship, there's freedom. Again, you can be yourself, but you're not a slave to your feelings. And did you know, I mean, in, in the Bible, you know, marriage vows today are so much about feelings. It's not, that's not in the Bible. In the Bible, they're really the closest thing to a marriage vow we have is Genesis 2.24, which Jesus quotes in every gospel when asked about marriage. And some of you know, because I've married you, and we say, I say it over and over again, that a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and they will be one flesh. Leaving, cleaving, we are, we're together, we're in this, in covenant, we are one flesh. Covenant relationship. Now, topic is sex, so you could say, uh, well, what does this have to do with sex? What does it have to do with the, the lie of sex uh, that you said? It has a lot to do. A consumer relationship, again, is need-based. It's vendor-based. I have needs. Meet my needs. Okay? I have needs. I need you to meet my needs. So sex, you say, I have needs. Meet my needs. I know you wouldn't say that, but you, in consumer relationships, you do say that. In a covenant relationship, sex becomes a sacrament. A sacrament. What's a sacrament? Well, we do sacraments every week. We either do communion or baptism. Two sacraments that we celebrate. A sacrament is an external sign of an invisible reality. That's why we say if you're, if you're not a Christian, uh, you should not come forward to take communion. Communion. Because it is an external sign. I mean, you're, you're receiving an invitation, not from me or this church, but from Christ. Every time you walk forward, you're receiving him in your heart. So this, and what we'll do in a moment, is this external sign of an internal reality uh, that the Holy Spirit is alive and present and really owns uh, your heart and your life. You've given your life to Christ. That's what you're saying as you take communion for, through what he has done for you, his body. So sex... Is, is a sacrament because it is an external sign of an inward, internal reality. And it's saying, I give my life to you. You're one flesh. As long as God has me or you on this earth, external sign of this invisible reality. And that's why sex outside of marriage is a lie. And... When we engage in that, we are lying. We're committing a lie. You need to hear this. You're like, you know, well, how is that? Why is that? Because you're saying, I'll give you my body, but I'm not going to give you my life. And you say, oh, well, I, you know, I'll never say that. People say it in their heart, okay? And, and it's very easy to do. You say, I'll give you my body, but I'm not going to give you my full life. Where covenant sex is... I'll give you my body as a sign that I'm giving you my, my entire life. So the lie of sex. Uh, the challenge of lust. Uh, some of you may be saying, uh, come on, dude. I, I mean, I really know what I'm doing. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's cultural and, uh, you know, it's okay. You, know, you might be, maybe, maybe not. I, I would say this from, from study, from prayer. I really do know what I'm doing, but it is very countercultural. You know, there's a lot of book studies are written now saying that uh, cohabitation, so that's living together before marriage, is actually very counterproductive. 
I mean, a, lot, a ton of like non-Christian stuff is saying that. I mean, I, I read an article uh, a while back from the New York Times, okay? The New York, I mean, not even the Wall Street Journal, okay? The New York Times saying, and you know, in, in New York stuff, that cohabitation or living together is very, it's highly counterproductive. Why, you'd say? Well, for a couple reasons. Uh, you know, first off, it's that it's like you're always in marketing mode. Remember consumer relationship? It's always like an audition. Uh, you're auditioning for, you know, for marriage. You are. You're auditioning for marriage. You're trying, trying it out. Trying it out. And studies now show that cohabitation, the couples are much more likely to end in divorce. Much more likely. And that it does not prepare you for marriage. So, you know, that's not just uh, from me or from Scripture. I mean, that's very secular organizations are saying that now. So, next step, the challenge of lust. So there's a lie of sex, but there's a challenge, challenge of lust. So Jesus hits on this. He, he goes on, verse 28. And, you know, again, sounds really tough. He said, I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. You may be like, oh, my man, dude. I mean, let's be real, authentic, honest. Like, well, what hope is there, you know? I mean, come on. Really, what hope is there? So I want to say, Jesus is not saying here that sex is bad. Jesus is not saying even that sexual desire is bad. Uh, In fact, the Bible is filled, and I don't have any verses on screen today or anything like that, but the, the Bible is field of, honestly, what I'd say are, are wonderful uh, illustrations and, and vivid, uh, even graphic um, illustrations about sex and sexual desire. Uh, so much so, I mean, they make me blush uh, when I'm reading over them, and they would, make, they would make us blush. I mean, Genesis 2, going all the way back, I, I quoted Genesis 2.24. I mean, the first instance, man, woman, together. They're both naked, they're in the presence of God, and they really really seeing this, this love song or poem uh, generally, you know, to one another, to God. Now, if that doesn't make you blush, you're like, I know Adam and Eve. Come on, well, Proverbs 5.19. Don't look it up right now, but, but go to it at some point. Uh, it says, uh, may you be ravished, uh, man, by, and I'm not going to say it, but uh, I'd like to, but, you know, um, it says by, by certain physical, you know, parts of, your wife's body may be ravished by them. Uh, everybody asks me, well, do you, really, uh, do you really believe the Bible literally? I was like, yes, of course. I mean, it, it, it has its advantages, okay? That's easy, yeah. It does. And that's not even... <laughs> it really does, okay? You get into it. Uh, I, have not, I have not preached or taught on Song of Solomon yet. That, that may be to come, but Song of Solomon... Read through that. I'm blushing now. I mean, it's this whole celebration of sexual union between a husband and a wife. And so the Bible, hear me on this. The Bible's not negative on sex. Uh, the Bible's not negative on sexual desire. So here, well, what? Well, Jesus says this. What's well, that word lustfully in verse 28? So the word lustfully, so translated, okay? Again, the Bible, New Testament was written in Greek. It, it literally means a greed or idolatry. Talking about idolatry earlier, greed or idolatry. What is greed? We talked a lot about it last week, and we will again because, you know, connected to money. But it can be connected to other things as well. And money, going back, having money is not bad. 
Jesus never says that. Making money is not bad. There were many in the Bible as well who had a lot of money. Uh, Going back even Abraham, uh, Job. Uh, Many of us know Job that it was all taken away from him, but he had it and then he actually got it back at the end. Uh, I was reading through John this week in my own Bible uh, study quiet time. Joseph of Arimathea, he believed he had he had the tomb, he had land, he had money, he had property. Money's not bad. Having money's not bad. Making money's not bad. Greed is bad. What is greed? Well, it's selfish. Let's think about it with money. I want it because I got to have it for me. I want that because I got to have it for me. It is. Uh, it's addictive. Greed is addictive. I have to have it. I gotta have that. I gotta have. That money, I've got to have this much money. And it's really a fantasy. Like, well, if I, have, if I only have this much, oh, I, can, I can get this, I can have this, or I, can, I can look this way, I can have this certain life. Uh, so greed, uh, it's very selfish, it's very addictive, and it's, it's a fantasy. So the same could be true for sex. Okay? And so this word, lustfully, it literally means greedy, in idolatry. What forms uh, can we be uh, greedy or here lustfully uh, for sex? What's the challenge of lust? I mentioned four ways uh, quickly, four ways. Uh, one, really the easiest, the softball, uh, is porn, pornography. Uh, pornography and the, the gratification uh, that comes from pornography. Uh, obviously, I mean, studies too, secular studies now, uh, going back in, you know, not even from me or, or scripture, but secular studies uh, talk about the effects of porn. You know, the myth is that porn will not affect your marriage. Totally a myth. Totally a myth. Porn is, is total consumerism. You know, it's just, it's just you. It's just one person and a screen in some form or fashion. And it's how you want it. It's when you want it. It's the way you want it. It's the challenge of lust. Total consumerism. I have to have it. It's greedy. It's selfish. It's addictive. It's fantasy. Totally, completely, totally outside the bounds of, of sex, sexual desire as seen in Scripture. But that's not the only one. Sex outside of marriage. You're like, okay, I'm not going to be porn. I'm just going to get into a committed relationship. And you kid yourself. And <laughs> you say, I'm a committed relationship before marriage and, and having a lot of sex. So sex outside of marriage, it's a challenge because, again, greedy, selfish, addictive, fantasy. You're like, what are you saying? It's, it's, it's not selfish, you know, committed relationship, all this. Well, going back, you're telling a lie. You're saying, I'll give you my body. I won't give you my entire life. Sex outside of marriage. There's a book uh, that I've kind of, I hadn't read, but for this series, you'll be hearing more about it. It's called Premarital Sex in America. It's called Premarital Sex in America. And uh, one of its main points, theses, is that the majority of premarital sex in America is happening because one of the two parties just wants to keep the relationship going. And they use the physical, use their bodies to keep the relationship going. So there's a selfishness in that. Like, I've got to keep this relationship going. So I've got to give my body, but I won't give my entire life. And so the, the challenge, of, challenge of, of the idol of the relationship, that would be the third thing. 
uh, the third way it can affect us, is uh, this, this myth, again, it's a myth, that in order to be happy and complete, I've got to have regular sex. I'll say that again, it's a myth. In order to be happy and complete or whole, and this is a huge lie of the culture, okay? In order to be happy, complete, whole, I've got to have regular sex. Well, that's actually, again, making sex this idol or making your partner or the relationship this idol. And what's an idol? Well, it can be a good thing, okay? Sex, sexual desire, not bad, okay, in Scripture. But it's putting that relationship above God. It's putting the relationship where God should be, which is idolatry. And then last, and this is the most, you know, really the most tricky, especially in our context, it's the fairy tale. Like, what's the fairy tale? You all, many of you know the fairy tale. You know, perfect marriage or good marriage and great kids and great home. And it all just wrapped together. And then, then I'm good. Then then I'm complete. Then I'm complete. And that too, and sex ties into that, you're putting all of that, even, even marriage, family, above God or where God should be. So it's this challenge of, of lust and where he's saying, Jesus saying lustfully, uh, greedy for these things. I've got to have it. I've got to have these. I've got to have these things. He, he goes on to state with the passage because then he gets really, really, really tough. Jesus Imagine that. Really, really drastic. He says, you know, if your eye calls you to sin, I don't even like to think about it, but, you know, <laughs> get rid of it. If your hand calls you to sin, get rid of it. What's he mean there? Well, it's not literal, but it, it's very, very drastic. It's very drastic. He's saying, get it out of your life. Get, get the greediness uh, for sex. Get, get the lies for sex. Get the lustfulness of sex, get it out of your life. It will kill you. It will destroy you. And it will. That's why he's being so drastic. Uh, three ways use porn, but tied to porn would be sex outside marriage. Can Myths of how it just, it really, Christian or not, uh, can, can destroy you. Can destroy relationship. Uh, I already talked about the myth that it doesn't, the myth, oh, I, you know, porn or Sex outside marriage. Hey, it's not going to affect my future, uh, my future marriage. Or the myth, hey, porn is not going to affect my present marriage. Totally a myth. It's, again, studies show it, it affects it. How? Well, one way is there are crushing expectations then on your spouse. Crushing. People who engage in it, okay, and... It does not lead to covenant sex, covenant relationship, crushing expectations uh, on the female, maybe on the male. Uh, another myth, uh, people are less intentional, less intentional to move into a covenant relationship when they are engaging in porn or they're engaging in a lot of sex outside marriage. Hey, I, you know, I got all I need. My needs are being met. Why should I move into this thing that you say, Covenant relationship. Uh, and this, and if you don't think this is true, then, well, I would, I, I would debate you on this, but for women particularly, in how they look, uh, in, their, in their appearance, uh, it's putting so much pressure 
on them and how they dress. Um, that they've got to, they got to measure up to, let's not even say porn, let's just say soft porn, okay? That, that we see in all the, the various, you know, video outlets, culture. You've got to measure up. So, how, how are we delivered? Maybe how are you delivered? How are we delivered from this? And that would be our true love. Our true love, which is Jesus. Okay, simple answer. But how in this passage? So, Jesus here, verse 30, he ends, he hints it at hell. Last word, passage is hell. So that word actually is Gehenna. Gehenna. If you want to write it down, G-H-E-N-A. You can look it up. Gehenna was an actual place outside Jerusalem, right outside Jerusalem, where the garbage was dumped and burned. And so it was known as this place of unquenchable longing and thirst. Unquenchable longing and thirst. So Jesus says Gehenna here. Uh, So what he is saying is that lustfully, uh, the lie of sex, uh, lust, uh, will lead you to this place of unquenchable thirst and longing. All of us in this room, all human beings, were built and made, uh, I believe biblically, were built and made to know God and love Him. To know God and love Him. And when that is, when that is taken away, maybe by our own steps or means, there is this unquenchable longing and thirst. And sex outside of marriage in these various forms will grow in you, in us, unquenchable longing and thirst. It's almost like, it's never happened to me, but you're on a raft in the middle of the ocean, so you're dying of thirst, but there's water everywhere. But can you drink the water? No. So you're moving through life, and and you're dying of thirst, and the images are everywhere, and they are today. Images are sexual images everywhere. And it will not fulfill the thirst or the longing. So we're built to made God, built to, to love and know God. Romans 7, you don't have to turn there, you can note it. Ephesians 5, it uses the illustrations of marriage as reflections of God's love for us, for you in Christ Jesus. It uses the reflections of a man and a woman being one. So it uses sexual union even as a pointer to Jesus Christ, to God's love for us, for you. So if we would say sex outside of marriage in its various forms is a pointer, is a pointer to a place of unquenchable thirst and longing. Sex inside of marriage, as I said earlier, sacrament. Sexual union in marriage, marriage itself is a pointer biblically. Romans 7, Ephesians 5, two examples. Biblically, a pointer of God's love for you and your true spouse, who is Jesus Christ. The woman at the well. Uh, Many of you know that story, John 4. Let me paraphrase real quick. The woman at the well, Jesus meets her. He says, I have water that you will never thirst again. That's that's almost a a direct quote. She says, I have this water. You will never, ever thirst again. And she says, I want this water. So Jesus says, well, go and bring me uh, your husband. And she says something like, he's not here. But then Jesus says, I know, well, you've, got, you've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Uh, so Jesus is talking about, really, I mean, her messed up sex life. 
that she's looking in the arms of men for what only Jesus can give. She's looking to sex for what only Jesus can give. Uh, say this about my marriage. Uh, not anything too interesting, but I will say this. So my wife, if she, doesn't, if she doesn't love Jesus more than she loves me, then she will put on me crushing expectations of things only Jesus can give. And it very much could potentially crush our marriage. I, I know completely that she loves Jesus a lot more than me, and I'm very thankful for that. But often that's the trap that we don't, in our marriages, even as single, we don't love Jesus you know, more than, than other things. And so we place those expectations on our spouse, or if you're not married, someone else, things that they can never give. I would say this, you're never, you are never going to be well married unless Jesus Christ is your true spouse for women and men. You are never going to be well single unless Jesus Christ is your true spouse. And he, you're like, why do you use that word spouse, Jesus in the New Testament, that's what he's referred to. The church is his bride. Jesus is our spouse. So I'd ask you, I mean, is, is Jesus your true love? Is he your true love? If he is not, if he is not, you, you will fall into these, fall prey into these challenges of lust. You'll fall into uh, the lie of sex. Uh, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, in sexuality as well. We can make Jesus our true spouse uh, in a moment receiving him. We've all heard that. But we have, to intentionally, we have to intentionally reflect on that over and over again. Give you a final, just closing, and we're going to take communion. Okay? Again, and you gotta, sometimes you just got to change your thinking. Because so just about everything, I think many of you, we, we think in terms of consumer relationships. And this covenant relationship. Do you ever imagine, I mean, Jesus standing beside you, uh, in front of you, behind you. And you say, man, I love you. I love you by name. I was praying back here in our prayer room before the service about this, this message, this topic. And, and too often, I'll fall in the trap thinking, well, I, you know, this is what I'm going to share. But I really, I really tried to think, well, is, is he my true spouse? And so, you know, imagined him, and I think it was real, the Holy Spirit, I mean, standing beside me saying, I love you by name. Making him your true spouse. He is the only one who can give you the things that all of you are longing for and maybe mistakenly in other relationships and putting a crushing weight on them that, you know, unfortunately the divorces that I've had to see and witness, that's, that can be a bit, well, he didn't do this. He never met my name. Didn't do, didn't. Jesus is your true spouse. How? Uh, we're going to pray and take communion. All of you are invited to do so. It's an invitation. But it should be, it should be those who come forward and say, I'm making Jesus my true spouse. He is my love. I will give my love to him as he has given all his love for me. He died for you. And it becomes a cliche, and you've heard it in Sunday school, but that no one else uh, would give, as we talked about last week, would, would just give their life for you. And he knows you by name. So as you come to receive communion, I would challenge you Think about, is he my true spouse? Am I I trying to put expectations on other people that only Jesus can give? Make him your true spouse. You can do so today. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, there, there are so many issues revolving around relationships, marriage, even sexuality. A lot of those stem from lies that we believe from the culture, lies that we make, we engage uh, in, in things that, that you didn't make us for. And so I pray for these, your people. We have many marriages here. We have single people here. Uh, I pray that they would reflect on this message, but more so from your word. Your word throughout the Bible, that you, you are our true love, you want to be our true love, you know us by name, uh, you will give us everything we look for in, in the love from others, and that marriage, and even singleness, is beautiful in your eyes, and you will use it to grow us, to sanctify us. And so I pray specifically for, pray specifically for those who are single here, because they could put forth the, the idol of marriage or the idol of relationships. But the same can be true of those who are married. And the answer is to look to you as our true spouse always and forever because you are. May that, if we just believe that, may it turn into our life. Uh, and if we don't believe that, and, and there are several who don't, but they may not admit it, then by the power of your Holy Spirit, awaken them to see who you are who you're meant to be, not just in a moment for salvation forever, which is true, but for life in our work, in our relationships, in dating, in marriage, that you, Jesus, give us everything we want, everything we need for love. In your name we pray, amen.